Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Universal Dialect Show, show number 32. Uh, I have a returning guest on. Um, I couldn't uh, hold off, you know what I mean? I had to have him on as soon as possible. He's constantly dropping material. Um, he's got uh, Esoteric Eddie on YouTube. Everybody needs to check that out. Um, links will be in the description. Um, I believe he was my 10th. He was in my first, like, 10 episodes, so I had to have him back. I want to introduce again Esoteric Eddie. What's up, my brother? What up, what up? Good to be here. Glad to see you again. Yeah, man. It's great to see you, man. Um, I wish I could have you on every week, but you know, because <laughs> you're always yeah. dropping like dope shit, man. Um, real quick, let's just go into quickly like your origin story again, you know what I mean? Where you're from and all that stuff and what led you down the path, you know, real Absolutely. quick. Again. Yeah, man. So uh, I've been researching the occult, the conspiratorial, the uh, esoteric for about 15 years now. 28 years old now. I've <clears throat> been pretty much just researching all this stuff since I was like 13, 14. But as I usually say, my entire life has really revolved all of this, you know, ever since I was a kid, all the way up until now, I've had a lot of experiences and um, instances that led me down this path. You know, it seems like knowledge was always seeking me out and I was always seeking it out. But more so on the professional side, um, I've published two books for the first time last year in 2022 uh, the lucifer mystery revealed and the anunnaki theorem and those two books and also launched my youtube channel last year too or in 2022 um esoteric adtv so those three items kind of just propelled me into the community that i'm in now you know the truth or podcast community but even before then i've been an artist you know i've had different carnations incarnations as an artist all throughout my life and so I've always been writing, I've always been researching, always been making like music and art that revolves all these subjects and currently working on my third book. So that'll be out this year. But that's that's pretty, pretty much it, man. Just been had a life that's revolved around all of this stuff and I'm trying to put it to use. <laughs> no doubt, brother. Um, I remember uh, seeing you on Tinfoil Hat, but you've been on other shows. So what other shows have you been on? Because you're blowing up right now. And and it's like every I'm on everything on my Spotify is like mostly on my podcast, and then as soon I scroll up, I'm like, there he is again, bro, on another show. <laughs> I'm on this, to this one. So who else? Where, where else have you been on? Yeah, at this point, I stopped counting. I've been probably <laughs> on over seventy different shows, um, but as far as like really big shows, I've been on Tim Foil Hat. I've been on Aeon Bite. I've been. I just did a show for the first time with uh, THC, um, the Higher Side Chats. Yes. So, so I, I, there's an episode coming out with them, and then I just did an episode with Eddie Bravo. So I'll be, I'm going to be on every oh, Eddie you, Bravo show. Damn, I love Eddie Bravo, bro. Yeah, damn, yeah. man, I can't believe you got Eddie, bro. That's dope, bro. That means that that's definitely a sign you're going places. I guess the next step is Joe Rogan after that. that naturally right? speaking, right? <laughs> yeah, and I did a show with a with a cool homie out here in Arizona named uh, Donut. He's 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 blowing up too. He's yeah, he's pretty, donut he's too. Yeah, donut. Yeah, donut. Yeah. Dope. So we got a we got an episode coming out, but yeah, man, just just doing what I do, you know, for the people and trying to move ahead. All right, good man. Well, I'm I'm glad you're blowing up, man. You deserve it. Um, so we're gonna jump right into this, bro. Uh, Absolutely. okay. So after after the interview that I did with you, I know you you already had a, a sort of discography, I guess, of episodes, and we didn't get to touch on everything because you put up you put out so much material. But one thing I want to talk to you about, and I'll kind of want to start off like this, because I'm trying to contact this individual and, and I, I've been going back and forth. You know, uh, they got my phone number. I got theirs. What, what, what did you find out 
and what did you think of Sophia Stewart and okay. her story? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I, I want to give her the benefit of the doubt, you know, like I, I, I want to give her the benefit of the doubt, but if I'm being honest, I think that it's a little like, uh, what's the word? Just a little askew, you know, from her perspective, you know, um, I don't want to say I don't fucking believe her, you know what I mean? But but uh yeah, I think I think it's just a little um askewed from her perspective. Yeah, cuz I cuz I've watched her with your interview and other interviews and she tends to kind of take over the interview at times and she yeah. won't allow you sometimes the person sometimes to speak. Um interesting and person though. Like, yeah, like fasc fascinating woman with like oh, high intellect for sure, dude. You don't even know. Like, I had a literally like an hour conversation. I could have recorded my conversation with her, and that would have been the interview because that's how deep she is and how yeah. knowledgeable she is. Um, and I'm I'm just gonna wind up doing it. I just have to pick the right time where I feel like I'm ready to do it because she's got like that sort of like she's got like a strong personality. So I got to be able to kind of like get my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah get my wits ready you know for that shit man oh yeah so her oh, yeah. story She's... so talk about her story like you know yeah, people yeah. don't know well the first okay so there's sophia stewart and the first time i saw her was on killer priest's podcast and that's how i found out about her so sophia stewart um she's a woman who claims to have written a story back in the 80s that contained elements um, that the Matrix movie series stole. That's what she claims. She claims that she originally wrote the the basic elements of the of the Matrix movie series and the Terminator series too. And she claims that both of those films and stories were actually a part of one big story. And she did take Warner Brothers to court. This is factual. There are documents for this. So she took Warner Brothers to court in the early two thousands for this you know for basically um you know copyright infringement or something like that and uh she won a case but basically as i've understood it from listening to different interviews and having the conversation with her she won the case but it wasn't for straight up like yeah they stole her story she basically won the case because there was a lot of chaos that ensued during the years of the lawsuits and so she kind of won like a default case because of all the chaos that ensued. Basically, a lot of, in, in her words, like lying and corruption that was happening within the lawsuit. At least that's the way I understand it. And she won't ever tell you how much she, how much money she got out of it, but she'll kind of always like uh, indicate that it was at least in the millions, if not billions. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if I might add too, like, not that it makes much of a difference, you know, but um, she was a black woman, you know, and, and she brings that up too. So, like, it's, it's plays into that whole thing, you know, Hollywood. Yeah. Black woman, black artist, you know, but uh, I mean, just her being a woman too, you know? Yeah. Cause I remember after Matrix came out, this is while I was still in the military, I remember her name popping up. And people making fun of her for coming out, claiming that. But then, like, I did my kind of, I don't I don't want to say research, because I just looked things up. And she yeah. did have a book, and it was dated 1980-something, 80 88 or something like that, which predates The Matrix and The Terminator, because The Terminator came out late 80s, I believe. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, yeah. That, yeah, I had to ask you that, because I know, like, you dealt with 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 talking to her. You would know better, like, 
the approach, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, I bought her book, uh, The Third Eye. That's what it's called. Right. And it's it's not it's more it's less of a book and it's more of like a screenplay with like notes in it and stuff. So it's it's a little strange and it's it's um, it's a little vague too. like, in you know, it's, it's not like straight up the exact same story. There are just like very similar elements to it. And she she claims um, that the famous line in The Terminator, I will be back. Right. Um, what came from her story, because at the end of her story the alien gods say we will be back oh so she, i got you she claims that, that you know what <laughs> i mean so there's a lot of vagueness in it you know what i mean right. but look she was a cool person you know what i mean so i give her the benefit of the doubt and i'll ride for her like for sure right. yeah okay word up all right cool all right so let's move on brother let's get to one one video that really struck me um it's called it's the meme one and how it might destroy uh spirituality so go into like the origins of memes because it goes way back beyond, you know, current technology and being on Instagram and shit like that. And the four chans and all that, it goes way beyond that. So can, do you mind going into that? The, the origins of memes? Yeah. So I made that video. It's a rant video. Um, will meme culture destroy society or something like that. And I made that video because I had just watched a documentary on YouTube about um, the whole Bored Ape Yacht Club. Right. Or whatever. those. So that was like an NFT project group. And it was a crazy documentary. Some people say it's fake. Some, some people say it's true. But, you know, the, I mean, the crypto industry and all the NFT stuff, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens behind the scenes. But apparently Bored Ape, which was like the biggest NFT project group, I had a lot of weird occult Nazi um iconography and philosophy built behind it and this weird techie guys you know that were all behind it with like kind of just nefarious and sinister energy and and and, and uh, agendas you know so it was it was this whole documentary that went into it and i just decided to kind of make this rant video because <clears throat> i noticed that um, for example, in the documentary, they, they were saying that the Board Ape Yacht Club kind of was like making fun of black culture. That the Board Ape people like they're like making fun of black culture and using all this like imagery um, as like just like basically, yeah, making fun of society in general, too. And I remember Damon Dash saying, like, why are we buying into this? Like, why are we buying into like all this NFT space stuff when the people behind it are like making fun of us? And it's just it's useless digital stuff, you know, so like a lot of a lot, there's a lot of things shifting in our world, you know, where it's going to like digital. And so there's all these different entendres on top of this. And so I, I decided to just sit back and just kind of ask myself, you know, where where are we heading, you know, with with the digital world and with memes and and i know people personally in the space you know um online who are meme lords you know they run meme pages and stuff and a lot of these people are very like um what's the word nihilistic you know a lot of them are very nihilistic you know my generation in, in particular you know the late 20s early 30s and um so i just see a lot of this becoming nihilistic you know it's all everything's just a joke you know, here you have Board Ape Yacht Club, the biggest NFT project and NFTs in themselves are a joke, you know, let alone um, the project runners like Board Ape. And they're they're making fun of black culture. They're making fun of us or like, you know, all these little things. And then you have the lower aspects of that of just just memes in themselves are just jokes. You know, it's just it's a joke. It's an easy way, but it's also an easy way to 
um, to bond and to, to, to get a message across, you know, like you see a meme, it doesn't even have to make sense. We just get it. You know, it's just a right. weird psychological thing that happens. And as I explained in the rant, you know, that concept is not new. That goes all the way back to propaganda during war times. You know, I, I suggest that propaganda was the first type of meme, you know, because you see, for example, an image of like, uh, you know, the Japanese or something. And it's like, you know, they're our, our enemy, you know, so it's like this whole idea of imagery, subliminal messaging and getting um, very deep philosophical thought points across in a quick manner just by looking at an image. That whole thing is not new. And um, more specifically in the meme culture that we are in. Although I love it, you know, I, I love comedy, you know, uh, comedy is a big part of my life. You know, I love making fun of things. I, I have a dark sense of humor, so I get it. But I was just asking on a deeper level, you know, what is this really doing to us as a global, you know, human society, you know, and I just, I just see everything becoming more nihilistic, you know, as opposed to, to being deep, like it used to be. And I also prophesize in the rant that I think, uh, all this nihilism and soulless are, you know, that it's going to lead to a, re a, a renaissance, an another renaissance where people are going to starve for real, um, solid, grounded knowledge, you know, so basically all of this emptiness, it's going to fade away and the real, like, like those who are putting in real work will rise to the top later on, you know, it might not be during their lifetime. But, you know, maybe 100 years from now, people who are putting in real work, you know, putting out real solid material, they will rise above all of this nihilistic, soulless stuff. What what, do you, what what effect do you think that that has on, like, the youth? Do you think it's like something where it's des desensitizing them in any, any sort of way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely causing some desensitization, you know, and that's just that's just been a growing trend ever since the Internet has come out you know it's like that's happened to me man you know like i'm pretty like heavily desensitized but um that's just growing up around the people that i did though too grew up, right. grew up around a lot of crude people <laughs> but, uh, yeah man it's we're just becoming more less and less human you know really that's what it comes down to we're becoming less and less human and what, what would you and so you think a renaissance is, would fix that but it's not coming you said for like probably 100 years or so at least, man, at least 100 years. I mean, I don't know. That's just me guessing. But I mean, f fix it. I don't know. But it's definitely gonna challenge it. You know, I think I think that I mean, for example, I have a really close cl cousin of mine who's um, who's been a hip hop artist for many years and who's been a film photographer for, man for many years. And he is like very like um like authentic and always about the art and like absolutely has no problem like calling out amateurs and posers like publicly like he's like that you know right. and so he's a guy who understands like for example he when he was making hip-hop it was all authentic straight mpc to the record you know everything authentic analog and he's the same way with everything he does and so um I, he understands this as well like in in his space he does like film photography and all that i'm not in that space so i don't understand it a lot but he sees all this amateur stuff it's just so cool to be an amateur and all this stuff and in graffiti too for example like we grew up with graffiti artists he's a graffiti artist and in graffiti in today there's this whole thing called non-style and it's basically uh, it's created an avenue for posers 
back in the day you needed to have style you needed right. to like actually get down on your craft and there's this whole thing now called non-style literally like it could be like a freaking 12 year old just going out and scribbling some dumb shit and people will be like wow that's so cool it's non-style it's like what like we just we used to just call that whack yeah you know so it's like bullshit <laughs> exactly so so we're just allowing too much whackness you know, for lack of a better term, right. to exist in all of the art spaces and in the human spaces. And I just think that's going to create a huge void. And eventually it's going to go back full circle to where you got to have style. you got to have substance. Right. Right. So you were talking about like the graffiti. So graffiti is connected to like the essentially the hip hop culture. Do you feel like the crap that's coming out now is non-style and that eventually it'll go back to its roots? I mean, I've seen some of it on the internet, you know, like, and, and I, I get it. You know, I mean, I used to be a tagger, so I know the rush and exhilaration you get from just going out there and just bombing some shit. But um, I also know that there are OGs in the game and people who take that life very, very serious, you know? So, so yeah, I think there's just a lot of non-style type of stuff coming out. And it's the same in hip hop, you know, like everybody's a rapper now, right? Because all you got to do is buy a little microphone and rap some shit. And hey, why not? You know what I mean? Like definitely pursue art in life because you never know what it is that's going to actually hold true to your soul until you try it, right? But it's just this whole thing of like just disregarding the OGs, disregarding the hard styles that pave the way for you to make have it so easy. Like that's what I don't like. It's just the disregarding of all that's become before. Yeah, what, I, what I've noticed is like uh, in rock, Right. I mean, and I'm not saying this in all instances, but in rock, if you find a kid that's wearing a Led Zeppelin shirt, chances are he knows more about that group than, let's say, a, a kids nowadays knowing about Rock Him. Like they don't know shit. They don't know who that is. But yeah. these kids in rock, and that's because the the torch has been passed down in rock. Right. Like the like like the the fathers passed down to their sons. And I've done that with my kids the best that I can. Like my son, he's into like some, you know, underground shit. But like most kids, they don't know nothing. They don't know who Karis One is. They don't know any other roots. They don't know Melly Mel. They don't know, you know, unfortunately, Africa Bambada. You can't really bring his name because of what he did, but he's still part of history. I mean, it's just crazy that rock is able to do that, but <laughs> hip hop isn't. Like they, they strangle the hell out of that, man. Yeah. Yeah, and it's crazy too because hip hop is like the number one genre right now, you know. And you always have all these new guys just frequently disrespecting the OGs, you know, like Lil Xan just saying Tupac's music is boring. <laughs> you know, it's like I get it, like art is art, you know, you're gonna like what you like, but it's deeper than that. You know, these are real humans, you know, real people who like pave the way for real lives to be changed. No doubt, brother. That's dope. So this so this is gonna segue into the next video that I want to talk about because this one really got me too is a uh, demonic Hollywood. Okay. Uh, and uh, so can we go into the origins of Hollywood and the occult, how them two kind of, kind of merge together? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I don't know how deep I'll be able to get on this one. It's been a while since I've really gotten into <laughs> I know, topic. man, I'm sorry, bro. I'm bringing up like this. <laughs> no, it's all good. But this is a topic that I love. Like this is one of the first topics that like got me into this journey, you know, cause I used to, just like love watching that early, like 2010, 2011 YouTube stuff, where it was all just like Hollywood and Illuminati's everywhere. Matter of fact, the first like YouTube video I ever watched was just like this little quick compilation video with like this 
uh, techno music in the background and it was just like showing like all these images of like Hollywood and, and um, the subliminal messaging going on. I used to love those videos. Every now and then I, I try to like pay homage to that style and make my little compilation videos. Yes, yeah, I can see it. I can see it in yeah. your visuals. Yep. But yeah, I mean, Hollywood, man. I mean, as they say, right, like the whole idea of Hollywood comes from the Hollywood tree that the Druids would make their wands out of. They would make their wands out of Hollywood. Um, at least that's what they say. And then you just have the whole idea of, of imagery in general, you know, movies and imagery just tapping into the subconscious. And I just saw my homie post something that I, have, I haven't dug into it yet, but apparently there's a, a CIA paper that was just disclosed, finally admitting that movies, many movies, hundreds of the movies that we grew up watching were funded by CIA projects to slip in certain uh, programs and ideology. And I was just I just got done watching a movie this morning. And it's like it's funny when when you watch certain movies, you can like blatantly notice like the advertisements in it, you right. know, like the actor will pull out like a soda and just kind of like flash it in the front. You know, what I mean, it's like it's also right. like what, what movie? Uh, uh, the Secret Window. OK, OK, OK. First time watching it, I had to watch mm -hmm. it, I, especially because I found out it was a Stephen King novel right. based on a Stephen King novel. I was like, oh, what, dude? But I mean, I love art, man. Like, even if it is like CIA programming, like I, I, I get it, you know. But but I just love art. I'm a writer myself, so I, I appreciate right. you know what's what's behind it. But yeah, man, Hollywood is all full of bunch of weirdos, you know, um, just a bunch of weirdos. But but to me, back in the day, I was I, I was more convinced that it was like run by you know satanic pedophile reptilians and not to say that it's not. But the older I get, the more I start to see behind the scenes and because I've met famous people at this point, you know, I've been around circles and stuff like that. And the more to me, it's just, it's all just, they're just people, man. They're no more different than us. They're just, uh, just more annoying and more passionate about things right. that we're not passionate about. And they're just posers to me, like anybody else. Do, do you think they know that they're being used to push this agenda? Like agendas uh, and stuff? I think for the most part, they're not, you know I mean? Like, for example, like in Corey Feldman's case, right. You know, Corey Feldman was a, a young child star and he didn't know, you know, he didn't know. But like, as, as he said later on in life, he realized as he grew up that all a lot of the men and possibly women around him were pedophiles. You know, Ooh. so I think a lot of times it's just young people who are trying to live that dream. Like they're they're passionate about acting. They're passionate about the movie industry. And so they get into it the same way that I'm passionate about, you know, plumbing and, and writing books. It's like. You just find yourself in the circles, the inner circles of the industry that you're passionate about, you know, but for the most part, I think these people aren't aware of it until they get into it and then later find out, oh, shit, it's too late. You know, it's too late. Right. Like, I'm in it. And it's global, correct? It's not just uh, Hollywood. It's it's any sort of industry, right? Any sort of Yeah, man, there's corruption everywhere, dude. Yeah. I've seen it in many different uh, other facets of life. You know, it's. It's funny, too, because in the truth of community, we put so much emphasis on these people like being influencers and controlling our lives, which they do. But to me, it's just like they're just people, man. They're just people like us. And I don't right. see them any different. You know, they're, they're just as annoying as, you know, the person at the bus stop or whatever. Right. So um, when the pandemic hit or the scandemic, like I, I, I call it in, in 2020, because we were we were home. 
I think a lot of us, I don't know if you agree or disagree, we're able to sit down and watch things and kind of like be uh, exposed to more things. And and uh, I got to see like dudes like yourself exposing these things that I at, that were in front of my face and I wasn't really noticing. Um, what what have you noticed in the last three years c- concerning like, you know, like with the Kanye thing, the Isaac yeah. Cappy thing and all that, like all these things that are coming out now all of a sudden, the Epstein thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I will say is like nothing ever just happens. It appears that way because everything has a climax, you know, but nothing ever just happens. It's like if you, for example, Kanye, if you look at it, if you look at his life, this dude's been on a downward spiral forever. You know, I mean, He's been on a downward spiral and it's just been getting more and more crazy. And as he's been getting more and more rich and as more and more in the public eye, it it all came to that head, you know? And so a lot of things in life, they just, if you really take the time to examine them, it's like, it's obvious that it was heading in the direction that it was, you know, but apart from that, it's, it's like, we're, we're heading into what the Bible calls um, the apocalypse, which literally means like the unveiling right. you know, and, the end, and the end of days, everything will be revealed. All will be revealed. So if you want to speak like on a spiritual energetic level, it's like the veil is thinning and everything is being revealed right before our eyes. I mean, literally we've never lived in a time where information is, is as readily as accessible as it is. You know, everything is just being held to the light right now. You know, people's true person, and true soul is being put to the test and, and and revealed right now. So do you believe that we're already in the apocalypse rather than heading towards it? I'd say we were we are in a an apocalypse, you know. If we're speaking strictly biblical timeline, I don't think we're in the uh I don't think the Messiah is returning soon, to put it simply, you know. Uh but we're probably somewhere closer to that than we were before, for sure. And the only reason I say that is because, uh, and this is just my own personal belief, I, I've always felt like the Messiah is going to return after our world is completely encased in the new world order. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be nobody left um, born in, in this world that remembers the old days, you know, the days that we're in. You know, there, there are right. too many people on earth right now that still remember the old days still remember what a real human is. So I think that the uh, the end of days is going to come when all the babies that are born on earth are are born into the new world order as opposed to being, you know, succumbed and subjugated into it. So essentially you and I, and maybe like my kids, we're the last, right? That's it. Yeah, right? we're the last, man. We are the last of a dying breed. And that's why it is important to pass down the knowledge because although that, that generation or that world uh, in that future is going to be completely encased in the new world order. I think there's still going to be a small percentage of people that are going to know the truth and are going to be passing it around. But um, in what form or version, I don't know, because it's going to be such a crazy world. We can't even uh, fathom, you know, it's going to, they might, it might be some weird holographic, like, you know, thing that they pass across, pass around or something, you know what I mean? Like some weird little technological thing that they, that they have in secret, you know, maybe a crystal or something. I don't know, but that's why it's important to keep the history going as it was told to me, you know, it was told to me, I I tell the story a lot, but I was told about the end of days by uh, a camp supervisor when I was like seven or seven or eight years old. 
Shit. And it was a strange young. <laughs> yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It was the strangest thing, man. It was, it was cause I I'd gone to this summer camp for years, still remember all of the supervisors names and faces, but there was this one super camp supervisor that, that got hired for this one summer. And so he was new and I don't remember his name, but he was just like this young dude with, with blonde hair and was always wearing sunglasses and I joke around and I always say that he was like a Nordic alien, you know, like the tall whites. He might've been. <laughs> Dude. Cause and at the time I didn't know how to swim. And so we went to uh, this pool and all the kids were swimming. I was the only one outside of the pool chilling with him. And, and he, for some reason, I don't know why he decided to start talking to me about the book of revelation and the end of days and warned me at seven or eight years old that there's going to be this thing called the mark of the beast. And that at first they're going to be nice about it and then slowly start to push it. And then there's going to come a day and he looks at me in my face and says, there's going to come a day, Eddie, where they're going to force you to take it. And it's going to be better for you to die in the name of Jesus than to take that mark of the beast. And so ever since then, I've, I've, I've been aware of that and I've been, you know, preparing for that. So when, the scamdemic happened, I wasn't the least bit surprised or scared at all. Right. Yeah, because you already you already knew the signs already from it. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Well, all right. So the next one I want to talk about, like another dope video that you dropped. Uh it's called World Controlled by Hidden Powers. And and it's mainly Jordan Maxwell, right? Talking. Who was Jordan Maxwell and why is he so important? Man, Jordan Maxwell is just like one of the OGs of uh, the truth or esoteric community. Uh, he's been um, putting out work, I guess, since the 80s, for sure. I don't know if the 70s, definitely the 80s. I mean, he's one of the first guys to do it, you know, big time. And uh, he's just put out so much for us, man, like so many books, so many presentations, videos. He's been featured on a lot of documentaries. And he had a very unique way of talking and putting together information. You know, he's up there with like the David Ikes and like the Zechariah Sitchins and all of that. And uh, I actually got a chance to meet one of his longtime friends. So um, there's a bookstore in San Diego called the, the Book Tree. It's actually my favorite bookstore that I, of all time. Like right. I, haven't found, I haven't found a bookstore <clears throat> better than that one. And so I met the owner, Paul Tice. And um, it, and that was a funny story too, because I was in North, I was living in Northern California plumbing, and I did some, I did a job for these like older hippie people, and I told them <laughs> I was from San Diego, and they're like, oh, you gotta check out my guy Paul Tice's bookstore. I was like, oh yeah, I'll check it out. And it wasn't like till a couple of years later, when I was back in San Diego, where I was like, oh dude, I, I remember the, that name in the bookstore, so I went to go check it out. And I met Paul Tice and we start talking or whatever and come to find out that Paul Tice was actually um, one of the dudes that helped get Jordan Maxwell published during his early wow. days. Yeah. So they were close friends. And Jordan Maxwell has this UFO story that you might have heard. Um, if not, it's on YouTube, but it's I think it's the only Jordan Maxwell UFO story. But Jordan Maxwell got chased around by a UFO in the desert and he was with two other people. And Jordan Maxwell was like freaking out, like, we got to get out of here. But his two friends were like, no, let's go back. Let's like go to the UFO. Let's let's go to it instead of run away from it. But they ended up running away from it because Maxwell was was afraid. Nice. And one of those other guys was Paul Tice. Oh, shit. You know? And so I've met the guy. We've, we've hung out and I actually gave him a couple couple copies of my book to, to hold at his store. Right. And and so. Yeah. So Maxwell, man, he's just an OG. He's been in, in R.I.P. And, and I'm I'm. uh 
selfishly sad that he passed away because I was actually supposed to meet him three days after he passed away. We, we had planned to meet and do an in-person interview, but he had just three days after the day he had passed right. away. That sucks, man. Damn. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know. I've, I've been listening to him for, for years. Uh, what I noticed in, in the video, a lot of references to mushrooms, right? Particularly red and white ones, but I don't know if that has any significance, but why mushrooms? And if there is significance to red and white, why red and white? Okay, so that video on my channel, the Jordan Maxwell one, uh, Secret Controllers of the World or something like that. Right. Um, so I'm Okay, so I made that video actually because I, I got inspired by this other compilation video that did something similar to it. Again, I love those like compilation style videos where it's just like very like weird, like ominous images to like music and shit. So I, I saw this other dude years ago make a video similar to that. And I was like, dude, this is so badass. Like, I want to make something like this. I was almost going to just rip his video and then put Jordan Maxwell over it. But right. I was like, that's too easy, man. Like, let me just try and recreate it. So I recreated what that dude did, you know, because I just thought it was super dope. But um, the the red and white mushroom is the Amanita muscaria mushroom. And I, I made a little reel recently about that, too. Um, with uh, Terrence McKenna talking about it. And so Terrence McKenna and a couple other people um, have this theory that the Amanita muscaria mushroom, the red and white mushroom, which is psychedelic, was actually the influence for Santa Claus and elves and reindeers, that that whole uh, fairy tale is like based on like an ancient like pagan ritual having to do with Amanita muscaria. And I can see that because, of, of course, the red and white. But like when right. you're tripping, you know, probably back in the day, we would see actually see elves, what Terrence McKenna called the machine elves. So this whole idea of like little like gnomes and, and Santa Claus with the gifts and, and the Christmas tree with the lights on it, like all of that weird stuff. Like there's a theory that all of that came from like a pagan ritual where we would trip out and like see lights and see geometry and, and see little elves and stuff like that. Dude, so so you're telling me that possibly we're celebrating Christmas, but we're like a dry, we're on a dry trip, right? Like, yeah, yeah. the lights in our house, you know, that are blinking and we, you know, have pictures of Santa Claus and elves all over the place, elf on a shelf, right? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're dry tripping, dude. We're dry tripping on fucking- And the reindeers too. Reindeers out there in like the cold areas actually eat the Amanita muscaria. So like oh. that's yeah. And is that why uh what's his face has that red nose? Fucking um oh, yeah, Rudolph. Rudolph. Reindeer. Oh, he was doing coke, man. He was on some other shit. <laughs> yeah, he was on some other shit. Yeah. That's crazy, bro. <laughs> All right. So um also in that video, it talks about um the controllers. So in, in your opinion, who are the controllers? Like yeah, yeah, this is a, a fascinating topic. And I, I just got done writing about this in my new book, which is coming out in April, which is yeah. about consciousness and the simulation reality slash theory. Um, it's funny because the uh, the Gnostics, right? The, the the Gnostics who wrote about basically the God of the Bible being this, this false God and stuff like that. They talk about the archons and the archons being like basically these demonic forces that you know secretly run the world you know all religions talk about this all religions talk about these hidden you know demonic forces that secretly run the world or try to deceive us and stuff like that 
And but I found it funny or interesting that the word archon in Greek just basically means rulers. And mm. so anything that rules or controls us could, you know, by definition, be an archon. And uh, in my book, I start, you know, going into different aspects of daily life that rule us and control us, you know, like social media, um, our addictions, our habits, depression. And so all throughout human history, we, we've talked about these unseen forces that control us, you know, these unseen negative forces and depression is a force. You can't see it, but Correct. it's a force. It changes Correct. your life. It changes your whole entire anatomy, you know, um, because depression changes what goes on in your brain and stuff. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, for sure, there's probably reptilians and definitely demons and stuff like that, for sure. But I just think on a basic level, um, the, the controllers that we're dealing with are just, you know, our, our own inabilities to to reach our higher self damn bro you definitely you're definitely a, a, a an artist bro just the words that come out of your mouth is this art but anyway um do you think non-humans live among amongst us like from the past and in the present this is based off of that same video because it talks about that oh yeah for sure man like i wrote a book last year uh the anunnaki theorem obviously hot topic, you know, everybody loves that topic. And I came to my own conclusion. And at the very least, the Anunnaki were not human because by definition, what a human is, which is what we are, um, is uh, a mixture of some hom hom hominid, some, some early hominid and whatever the Anunnaki were, right? Because the Sumerian texts tell us that when the Anunnaki made us, they took their blood and an admixture of what they called clay, whatever that could mean. And so by definition, a human, a homo sapien, uh, is a biologically engineered being that was um, created out of a mixture of whatever the Anunnaki were and some early, you know, hominid. So that's what a human is. You know, we're like the first AI. So the Anunnaki were not human. They were humanoid, but they were a pure breed of something else from somewhere else eventually down the line. But other than that, I definitely vibe with the idea um, that the that this Earth and not and our solar system um, have produced time and time again all types of sentient beings. You know, like we're not the first man. Earth itself, if we believe the mainstream narrative, is four almost five billion years old. So, and our current timeline that we exist in is only about seven thousand years old. Right, you know, if, if that, I mean, seven thousand years old, dude. That's that not shit. that long ago. Yeah, yeah that ain't shit. You know, I mean, I'm sure if you did like ancestry.com, you could find your Sumerian fucking grandpa. You know, <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Of course, this Earth has produced a lot of sentient beings, and and again, by definition, they wouldn't be human. Right. Um, I, I don't know if you ever heard of the Juan Juan podcast. He's he's absolutely. Like, that's the bro, right. man. I've, I've been on there a few times. Yeah, one on one is dope. Um, he talks about this thing called a homunculus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and 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 so when he was describing what a homunculus is, it's very similar to a golem. Uh, I think uh Hebrew. That's like their like thing where they made it out of clay. So essentially we're golem, right? Like <laughs> you know, yeah, like I mean golems. I, straight up, man. I, we yeah, the Homo sapien was like pretty much like the first homunculus. <laughs> and you know it's weird i just found out that um there's a an, an anatomy term in the brain that that is called the humunculus no so, way 
yeah, the human brain has a hum homunculus. That's what like the early anatomists called it because um, the, that part of the brain, the homunculus, I guess it, it either looks like a face uh, right. or or it controls like the face and the, and the arms or something. I didn't get look too deep into it, but all I know is that the human brain has an anatomy part called the homunculus. So we all have a little a little person in our head yeah. controlling us. Right, right. Like like uh, what was that fucking with Will Smith and he, the, you know he had the alien, but there was a smaller one in controlling that machine. Yeah, dude, the Archons, man. Yeah, that's it, the Archons. There was a video uh, years ago, man, that was on YouTube. And, you know, YouTube is fucking killing everything. But it, I, I couldn't find it anymore. But it was such a dope video about Archons. And this is before, like, I heard even David Icke speaking about it. But anyway, the next video that I wanted to talk about is uh, technology and demons, who's in control. So we're still going to go on that control narrative, right? So get yeah. into that video. Um, uh about how like fire was essentially our first technology in a way you, you had, re you had somebody on there that talked about um, fire being our first technology. Yeah, absolutely. So that video is actually a, a documentary version of an essay that I wrote for this journal based out in Florida titled uh, subtle body press. Good people. They reached out to me like early last year to do it for them. And so that but it just got released the journal just got released uh like late last year um or early this year i don't know but S subtle yeah. body press that's them yeah subtle okay. body press i'm gonna Super write that cool. down um but yeah so in the in my so my essay was about technology you know and and its influence on us and i was basically posing the question throughout the essay you know are we just making technology because we like to or were we designed and destined to make technology for some bigger purpose that we don't even know about yet you know like is the ai calling us to make technology so that it can manifest but as you mentioned the fire thing in the, in the beginning of the essay i kind of refer to bill cooper's idea you know bill cooper you know the classical american uh, conspiracy theorist he postulated the same thing, and, and he said that fire was the first piece of technology that man created. It was the first wielding of elements that we had that gave us power. And um, through that technology, fire, the first priesthoods were formed, and priesthoods were formed around the idea of fire and the making of fire and the containment of fire. And that whole idea of light, according to Bill Cooper, carried on to, to Lucifer, you know, being the light bringer and giving us more knowledge and giving us more priesthoods. And we could take it even further to like big tech companies and technology. All of technology is run off of like fiber optics and light and stuff like that. So it's like the idea of fire and light just continues to be expressive in different ways. And it's all just the same thing, just this this force, this technology um, that's being used for, for what? To advance us to the future, What for what purpose? Well, as we see right now, we're advancing to what the big tech guys like Elon Musk or Ben Gertzel call singularity. Singularity is the, is the moment where um, AI is gonna become self-aware and where homo sapiens are gonna officially merge with technology and transcend that and become immortal damn brother so how, how does um how does cern play into that because following that conversation in the same video get into cern 
what's CERN, what what is CERN and what's its occult roots? All right, so CERN um, is a is a science facility based out in in Switzerland, and they have the world the world's largest hydron collider. It's it's massive. I don't know the exact number, but it's huge. And uh, the, what it what they do there is basically smash particles. It's a little more complex than that, as I've learned. But they smash particles and they try to see basically what comes out of it. And the reason they're doing that is because they're trying to find um, deeper and deeper microscopic levels of reality because they're, they're trying to find the fabric of reality. We haven't found it quite yet. They found things close to it, like the God particle and stuff like that. Um, so that's what they do. And, but what's interesting is that I made a video recently. It's a small one, I think, on my channel called CERN something something. And yeah. towards the end of the video, there's a, a scientist from CERN giving a TED talk. And he says um, that <clears throat> it fascinates him because it gives him a mythology, you know, where, you know, we have the, they basically just disregard the Bible and, and religion and spirituality and say all, all that stuff's myth. All that stuff is fairy tale. Whereas CERN is creating their own mythology about the universe, a practical mythology, because they're actually looking at how all things were created. And so I just found that a little alarming because, again, it's just man poking at nature, trying to make sense of it through their own mind, where the, the universe exists without us. Right. You know, it's it's us who need it. And, and we're always trying to poke at it and and give it its definition that that suits our understanding where it's actually the other way around. The universe is giving us existence and us understanding. Correct. When I say universe, I mean in a general sense of God, the creator. So that's what CERN is, man. They're just another one of these ambitious human science projects that are poking at nature, trying to find its deeper and deeper secrets. And a lot of people have claimed that because of them doing that, you know, we've had some interesting effects um, in the fabric of space time. And one of those effects would be the Mandela effect. Right. Okay. So I was going to ask, that was the next question about was the Mandela effect. Do you believe that CERN, because that there's obviously you and I and others that are into these topics, we know that in the last few years, things have changed to the point where we're like, we have to stop and question like, Hey man, there's something not right. Is something not right in the air. Things that used to happen before are now somewhat backwards. The way people act, you know, they're, we're, uh, Humans become more uh, uh, spontaneous with their emotions when they used to be able to, like, just think things through. Now that now it's all spontaneity. Boom, boom, boom. I'm gonna fuck you up. You know all this shit. You think it's because of CERN that maybe it, it did something to the time, caused a time rift, so to speak? Yeah, I think they did, man. I think I think they definitely caused the time shift. And most people think it happened right around 2011, 2012. Yep, that's what I heard. I think I think that could be possible. Things are definitely different and weird. And I wish I would have wrote down some examples, but I know over the years, I even picked up on like little nuanced things in my own life. Like what the heck? Like that wasn't always like that, you know? And, uh, but yeah, everything's shifting and, and changing in weird ways. And I think uh, it's a part of that apocalypse or part of that progression towards singularity. Like we're also going to start noticing multidimensional um, connections and shifts and, and probably be more aware of the multi-dimensions. And it's funny because for the past, what, like five years, like that's all that Hollywood has been pushing. is like all these multi-dimensional movies, 
you know, multiverse this, multiverse right. that. You know, so it's like, damn, dude, I was just barely getting to understand this universe, you know, like now I got to deal with seven other ones. Right, right. I got you. I got you. So do you think technology like has blocked us from being like creative? Because um, in the video, it talk, you know, in your video, it talks about like how Einstein and Nikola Tesla used to meditate before they even wrote anything down. And they used to get like ideas from like, you know, higher knowledge, you know, and yeah. things along those nature. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think all of us have that ability and we use it on a daily basis, but we don't uh, acknowledge it's it's fast. You know, it's fascinating power. You know, like when you have those flashes of just like random thoughts like, oh, I should do that or whatever. That's the same thing. But these guys were just hop operating at a higher level. But yeah. So Einstein, he used to like sit back and just envision things. You know, he'd envision entire mathematical equations and stuff like that and then and then go and put it down the paper and same with tesla you know he would invite he would envision entire schematics entire schematics and then go and write them down you know granted these guys were from a different era where we used more of our our brains i think and our bodies you know we we're more um analog now it's all digital right. we rely on technology more than back then but i've had even moments like that dude like i've had moments for example um like my new book, my new book, I, I I saw all of it in a flash when I was at work underneath the sink. I just saw the entire thing. I saw the colors. <laughs> I saw the name. And, you know, so I think we all have that, you know, and right. where we hone into the source, the Akashic records of sorts, um, you, you, it becomes more, you, that intuition becomes stronger. Do you think, okay, because you're a plumber. Yeah. You love doing what you do. And when you're doing a job, I would imagine you go into the zone and maybe that opens up for ideas to come to you. You think that's how that happens? Yeah, I've never really thought of it that way. But yeah, you're right, because I do get into a zone when I'm at work. And that zone mindset, I think, is like transcends time and space. And you're like almost living in infinity in that moment. Right. Um, because your thought waves become so focused and so heightened. that it's like time and space don't even exists for that moment and like right. just opened up to source and all kinds of things can, can can come in between you in that space yeah when i'm doing artwork i i when i get into that zone it's the same thing i i feel like i'm not there but i'm there yeah right? yeah it's so good in this video I'm, go ahead i'm sorry go ahead. i'll just say when i'm in that space that's how i know like i'm i'm, I'm doing good work and when right. i'm not in that space like i'm too like you know focused on what's going on around me like oh man right. i gotta i'm not i'm not in that zone Right, that when there's too much distraction or you're being like hit with too many things, you know, you're yeah. I don't know, it's weird. I I, I feel like that's those are the archons that are fucking with us, like not allowing us to, to be in the zone. But um in that same video, you talk about mushrooms again and whether they're sentient. So do you believe that they're sentient? And if you can go into some of your experiences on psychedelics. Like what, what did you gain from that? Like, was there anything that you gained from that that really helped you? Absolutely, man. Yeah. So I got the mushroom tarp in the background. Yeah. That's what I was going to, that's what I was going to reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They played a huge role in my adolescent life, man, in my young life and still do, you know? Um, yeah. I brought them up in that video and that essay because again, I, I was talking about technology and, you know, what is really pulling us towards this singularity and I realized that there are different consciousnesses existing on this earth, at least, that are speaking to us. 
you know, and one of those is the mushroom. The mushroom has been communing with us since the beginning of our, our existence as, as hominids. And um, they're a fascinating creature in themselves, you know, very intellectual uh, plant, if you want to call it that. And they've been around just as long as any other life. I think I read an article at one point that stated that fungus, you know, was actually the first biological entity that touched on ground, you know, that, that left the water and, and touched ground. It was actually fungus. So the mushroom consciousness, the mushroom family has been around for a very long time. And just recently, some scientists found out that certain mushrooms actually speak to each other in a language of at least 50 words. Oh, shit. There's an article that came out, I think, last year. Yeah, I might do a little deeper dive on it. But if you look it up, you know, mushroom speaks language, you'll probably find it. But they they concluded that those, I think, four or five mushrooms at least have a, a speak to each other in at least 50 with 50 different words. And so they're very intellectual. And so they definitely have consciousness, how deep or how extensive it is, we don't know. So it's my personal belief that when we ingest the mushroom, we are actually taking on it's consciousness like we are communing with it like it that's just what i think i just think when we when we eat it it's consciousness kind of like embeds itself in us and communicates with us for a little bit and then dissipates right you know and um my first mushroom trip i was probably like 13 13 14 and I man, the anxiety, dude. I remember we were at the train station waiting for my cousin's connect and he didn't show up. It took him like two hours. So like we had a lot of time to like doubt it, you know, like, should we do it? Should we not do it? Should we do it? Should we not do it? And so we ended up doing it. And I'm just so glad that we did, man. It was just, oh, sorry. No, that was actually my second shroom trip. The first shroom trip I ever had was with my best friend and his brother. And it was the perfect shroom trip because so his mom, their mom was leaving for that weekend. And so they had the house to themselves. So we planned to do it that weekend. You know, it was just us three. We we're going to trip out, have the whole house to ourselves. And I, as soon as I showed up to their house, I was like, what up, dude? Let's get this started. You know, their their aunt pulls up. Oh, and their shit. aunt was like this, this short, like just very exuberant uh, Guatemalan lady. Just <laughs> they had an accent, just very like high strung on life, just very excited. And so she's like, hey, I'm here to spend the weekend with you guys. And we're just like, oh, fuck, man. Oh, like, yeah. Chaperone. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't let it get in the way. Like she she picked us up and, and she wanted to take us on like a college and university tour to like inspire us, you know, as young men. And so we're like driving in the car and we're like our, my friend's older brother's like passing the shrooms around like low key, like without the aunt noticing because she's like just a, this oblivious little Guatemalan lady. And so we're all eating the shrooms in the car, like just like, yeah, let's go check out some colleges. But I mean, dude, it was just like I was not prepared for that, you know, like my whole entire world shattered. Like I didn't understand how eating this little thing could, can right. change my entire perspective. Everything was just wavy and morphing and my right. thoughts and all this trauma was surfacing and it was fun it was very fun and uh I've, I've tripped a bunch of times throughout high school and in my early 20s and I, that, that that concept of understanding the shroom was sentient and that it was communing with me like developed over the years and more recently i've i've uh just microdosed and i and through my years of tripping 
the shroom consciousness has told me for whatever reason that I've already learned what it needed to teach me and I don't need to keep coming back. That's what oh, it wow. continually tells me, you know, um, but I do plan on going back because I feel like at some point there's going to be a new lesson. Right. I've been wanting to do shrooms for a while, like before the pandemic or whatever. I've been wanting to. I just don't know where to start. But you said microdosing and and uh, shout out to push buttons. Um, yeah, told me the yeah. same thing. Um, but I just don't know where to get them. I mean, I, I know they're illegal in some places. I just don't know if they're legal here. But I, I'm definitely gonna do it. I have to find a way to do it. I might hit up um, Chaz of the Dead or something because he's in yeah. Florida. And... I'll send you a. I'll send you a good connection. A very reputable professional right. um, young gal in uh, L.A. She's okay. A, a great operation. Does things very professional. Oh, word. Okay, word up. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right. So let's jump into this. Uh, get into the okay. Before we go into the next section, the next video, because this next video I love, bro. But I had another question about this video about CERN. But you, you, you were talking about the four uh, yuga cycles. Can you get into those? Because that's very important. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I don't know a lot about this, but it's just something that I've lightly touched on over the years. But the yuga cycles come from uh, basically Hinduism, you know, the 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 Vedas. And they talk about basically the entire universe or or the consciousness of humanity going through four cycles. And I think the totality of the cycle is like 432,000 years or no, 4,320,000 years which is interesting to a lot of people because the whole number of 432 plays into all kinds of different esoteric numerology with like 432 Hertz and stuff like that. But the four cycles are basically the cycles of consciousness that we go through. And it basically it's like a rising and falling cycle. You know, there's like a golden age and then like a very terrible age. And that terrible age is the Kali Yuga cycle. Right. And that's actually what we're in right now. I think we're at like the tail end of the Kali Yuga cycle. So again, going back to the whole apocalypse singularity thing, that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing everything being fleshed out, everything being nailed to the cross and being put up and splayed and full display for the gods to judge. Damn, brother. Shit. <laughs> and we're we're and it's funny how we're in that fucking stage, man. Yeah. Like, I, I wish I would have talked to you 20 years ago. We're like, oh, it's coming. But no, we're I'm talking to you now. We're in that actual stage yes, in the sir. apocalypse, brother. All right. So this next part, bro. I love all your videos, man. But this one was probably one of your dopest. And the only reason why is because I remember in 97, I was working at this video game store. And this one weird dude walked in and he had this, like, it looked like it was put together, like with glue and all that. And it was a Valdemar Valerian's book. One of them. I don't know which one it was, but I remember I want I wanted to steal that shit from him because of the illustrations in it. Had yeah. dope illustrations. So I know that uh Valder uh Valerian, he doesn't have Valdemar Valerian, he doesn't have like his face out there. There's no pictures of him. He's very uh unknown. And he has a book series. Can you get into that a little bit? Because that that documentary was dope. Absolutely, dude. And that's cool that you got to like see that back in the day. And uh, so I learned about Valdemar Valerian actually through just my homie on Instagram. He just sent me, he sent me uh, the Matrix 3 book. He's like, yo, you should check this out. And I was like, what? What is this? 
And then come to find out that I knew about it all along because Jedi Mind Tricks named their first yes. one of their first albums after his work, the psychosocial, chemical, biological, whatever. Um, so and and looking at it now, a lot of Vinnie Paz's earlier lyrics were like right. influenced by Valdemar Valerian's work. So it's funny how it was it was in my subconscious this whole time. So after I looked into it, I was like, oh man, this is fascinating stuff. So Valdemar Valerian, which is a pseudonym. You know, it's not his real name. He uh, released a book back in, I think the first one was in the late 80s, early 90s. Right. It slips me right now, but it was it was titled The Matrix. And he ended up writing, I think, five of them. So it was uh, a Matrix series. And um, they're just very dope books. They're very like they're written um, kind of like uh, government documents, they're like the style of writing. It's like you're reading like a government document. You know, um, that's the only way I can really explain it. You know, it's not like a book. It's like, right. it's just like documents with like headers and like just bits of information. And throughout the entire series, uh, he uh, reveals information that's coming from whistleblowers, experiencers, CIA documents, government documents, his own experiences. So it's just like a, a huge amalgamation of, of all this like uh, um, declassified information. And as I said in the video, like he was doing this like way before any of this was mainstream, right. you know, like way before ancient aliens, way before disclosure, way before Gaia TV, way before any of this, you know, this dude was way ahead of the time dropping just straight facts and gems in these matrix series. And like you said, they're jam packed with like super interesting, like just cool art, like just dope right. artwork. And I'm an artist. Like I love that kind of stuff. So Me I too, just, brother. I, <laughs> yeah. It's just dope. And I actually, I don't have any of the physicals, but when I was at the book tree chilling with Paul Tice, I asked him if he had any of Valerian's work and he didn't have it, but he has, uh, he had some of the leading edge stuff. I have this right by my desk. So the leading edge was actually right. Valerian's um, publishing group. No so, way. Yeah. That's dope, man. Yeah. So if you want some more of Valerian, not directly, then look up the leading edge. You can right, find right. some of this stuff. It was like a, a journal, like this one right here. It's got different topics that go into like different stuff, different writers. I mean, whatever. the artwork's the same as the Valerian. Yeah, shit. yeah, it's still like just like very cool, like heady dope, stuff. bro. It's very like, heady, like, like black. That, and that'd be that'll be a dope, dope logo, man, for somebody, man. <laughs> yeah, dude, art. I love. I, I'm a little. I'm a graphic designer. Do a little bit of that, so right. I, I, I love. So you see it, right? You like that. you can see it, and you know that shit is dope. Yeah. What that? What the uh, Valerian books, the Matrix books, remind me of is when I um. Like after I got out of the military and I was looking up like more, you know, paranormal shit, there was a book uh, called the Russian KGB uh, Book of Aliens and the Species. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you ever seen that. Yeah, um, yeah. That one's pretty heady, too. That's dope. That's dope. So it reminded me of that. But um, in the in the documentary, you talk about how Eisenhower made this pact with the Greys. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah. So in the. Uh... So what I did for that documentary is I, I, I combed through the entire Matrix series, one through five. And, and you I have them all? No, by the way? I, PDF. Oh, I got them in PDF. I got one in PDF, uh, but they're not available anymore, are they? Yeah, yeah, I could send you them. No, but I'm saying like them. physical. like oh, are physical? They, are no, they probably think, gone? Yeah, they're gone. You got to find <sighs> like rare copies and stuff. But so I, I combed through the entire series and pretty much just pulled out all the important information about the greys and the reptilians. Uh, because again, like this, this whole uh, project was him pulling information from whistleblowers, experiencers, government documents. So it was all like very serious stuff. And so I combed through all of it, 
took that information and then kind of like organized it in a timeline. And so apparently at some point right around when Roswell happened, we captured a great alien um, and he's known, he was known as EB, um, extraterrestrial biological entity. And we held him captive, I guess, to try to like get some secrets out of him. And then there was like this weird communication between our government and the greys and the greys were like basically saying like, yo, let our homie free and we'll give you back one of your guys. Cause apparently they took one of our guys captive. And so Eisenhower and his administration and stuff, they made a deal with the greys like, all right, we'll give you back your homie and stuff like that and, and all that. But we also want to make another deal and create a contract with you guys and allow you guys to abduct a certain amount of humans every year if you give us technology in return. So apparently there was a deal made that went down and uh, that happened for some time, but apparently the greys stepped out of the contract and started abducting more people than they were allowed to. And so that caused like a tension between us and the greys. And then there was another aspect where we actually reached out to the reptilians, according to Valerian's work, we reached out to the reptilians to try and stop the greys because the reptilians are the only ones that can stop the greys because apparently the reptilians created the greys. So the enemy of our enemy is our friend. Exactly. That whole thing. It's a triangle of just enemies going on right now between the greys, reptilians and us. Damn, man. That is okay. So, um, how, cause you also state in the video, you put in there the different, uh, races of greys and reptilians because it's not just one type um do they currently exist are they still messing with us on our planet and how many different races are they i'm sorry no go ahead yeah yeah i think so man unfortunately i've never seen one or been abducted fortunately maybe fortunately i don't know but i think they are and but it's interesting i haven't really heard anything new or seen anything new about that you know like but apparently it's been going on forever. Like Credo Mutwa talks about it, you know, the African uh, Zulu Sanusi. Right. And, and uh, so this has been going on forever. UFOs have been going on forever. And according to Valerian's work, there are there are the reptilians and there are greys. But even within their races, there are different variations. Just like on, on our planet, there are humans, but we got different shades, different variations. Right. All right. So last Thing about this is um do you think earth is being terraformed for for these beings with the chemtrails and all that shit like little by yeah. little yeah i think i think that could be possible for sure i've thought about it i've come across information like that yeah <clears throat> i think valerian mentioned it too like um the reptilians are terraforming it so that it could be suitable for them and maybe that's a part of what you know quote unquote global warming it really is about right you know uh, I think even at some past Earth was terraformed, you know, in the past Earth was probably terraformed, right? If there's that whole thing about those weird, strange, like black balls or something that were found somewhere in Africa. I've right. dug deep into that, but I think it was terraforming in the past for sure. All right, my man. So let's get into this next one, dude. This is another dope one, man. When you came out with this again, I, I put a comment in there about uh, this rapper who was part well, loosely affiliated with the Wu-Tang Clan. His name is Shabazz the Disciple. He has a song called Death Be the Penalty. And one of the lyrics is, uh, the pale-faced devil race, Caucasoid germ, grafted from original black man sperm. So you had a video about this so-called black alien, so to speak, named Yakub. What are the origins of that? For sure, yeah. So 
uh, the nation of Islam to this day tells a mythology about the origin of white people. And they say that white people were genetically engineered by a big headed black alien scientist named Yakub, and that he did this 6,000 years ago in Mecca or, you know, out there in the Middle East. And so uh, this story was first told by the Nation of Islam and has had variations throughout the years. And like you said, it's been told in hip hop. I've heard people tell that story in hip hop and stuff and refer to it as well. But that story actually didn't start with Elijah Muhammad, who most people think of as the creator of the Nation of Islam. And I used to think he was too, until I started doing the research for this video. I, I always thought he was the one who started the Nation of Islam. But come to find, there was actually a guy before him who was his master, and this guy's name is W.D. Fard. And so W.D. Fard was an immigrant um, from Mecca, he claimed, who came here in like the late 20s and instituted the, excuse me, the first like black Muslim um, or one of the first black Muslim movements. Uh, before him, there was a guy named uh, Noble Drew Ali. So no, Noble Drew Ali was actually the first to institute the very first black Muslim movement, but it was, it definitely didn't have anything to do with aliens or anything like that. It was more so just about a, a building a cultural movement um, to give them pride and discipline and stuff like that. And then, so after Noble Drew Ali, there was W.D. Fard and W.D. Fard came here. And a lot of people kind of describe him as being like a peddler, like a hustler, like a door-to-door -door salesman. And so he concocted this whole idea of Yakub and white people and took black Muslim um, identity to a whole new extreme. And he claimed that he was Allah reincarnate. He would tell Elijah Muhammad and his followers that he was Allah reincarnated and he was here to give this message. And strangely, the FBI was following him around and there are declassified FBI documents that you can read to this day, like I mentioned in the video. And the FBI, too, noticed that he was just like this peddler, hustler guy, you know, guy who just knew how to sell things, you know, knew how to right. be charismatic. And he was actually driven out of the East Coast um, by the FBI uh, because I guess he was on the run for allegedly convincing one of his followers to commit like a human sacrifice or something like that. Oh, shit, man. Yeah. So he was driven out in the 30s. And to this day, he's never been found. So WD <laughs> Ford has been missing ever since. Damn, man, that's crazy. So what 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 else can you tell me about Yakub? What what else was he known for? Did he do anything like that was historical? Well, the well the the way I see it, it's just a story, man. It's just a mythology right. that was created by WD Ford to kind of like give credence to the whole black Muslim identity and movement because their whole thing is basically built on that they are the chosen people, that they're the actual real Israelites and Hebrews and they're God's people and that the white man is the devil and he's here to trick them and deceive them. Um, but the, it's a fascinating legend. I mean, the way the story goes that Yakub was this, uh, black-headed scientist but when he was a child that before there were any white people he realized the power and polarity after he played with some magnets and he realized that opposites attract and that there's power in that so as a child he decided that when he grew up he was going to create an opposite man he was going to create the very first white man and he was going to use the white race 
to trick his people into subjugation. So Yakub was kind of like this sinister guy who wanted to like rule his black brethren. Right. And he was going to do that through his white creation. <laughs> That's crazy, brother. All right, man. So the last video, man, that I'm going to cover, I, I, I was almost finished with it, but I just want you to give like a synopsis on it. And that's the newest one, Lemuria and the root race synopsis. Absolutely. Okay. So this is a topic that's been talked about for many, many years. And I decided to do a video on this just, just to kind of like, you know, do my take on it. Uh, Cause it's a hot topic. And so it, within the esoteric truth of community, the new age community, you know, we hear about, about Atlantis and Lemuria and Ascended Masters a lot. And I like to tackle subjects like that, that like have this huge, uh, that get talked about a lot, that are popular and have profited, you know, that many people have profited off of. And uh, what I found was interesting. So for one, the whole idea of like the root races within the esoteric community, that mostly came out of Blavatsky, you know, the, the Russian mystic who started theosophy and stuff like that. And um, she basically describes that there was an evolutionary process that eventually led to physical beings, the physical human, and that the original races um, actually started off as spirit bodies, that we started off as spirit bodies and slowly we gained our physical bodies and that this was happening simultaneously on the different continents of earth. So when she says root races, it's not like there was a black race, a white race, uh, a you know, a yellow race, so on and so forth. That she was, she meant it in the sense of like the root races um, of all physical bodies in general. And so she she describes that throughout the continents, this process was simultaneously happening. You know, we started off as spirit bodies, and slowly those spirit bodies evolved into hardened bodies. And at first, they were androgynous. And they used to lay eggs. She claimed that we used to lay eggs as androgynous beings. And then slowly the sexes were formed. And then we became, we started to procreate. And then our bodies were fully realized. But she claims that in that process, some of the uh, celestial beings that helped, you know, all of this happen, the celestial beings, the gods who were overseeing this, some of them got greedy and selfish and um, descended into the physical bodies that were uh, evolving so that they could have physical bodies and have fun here right but they did so before our bodies were fully formed so some of these descended beings um they entered some of the deformed bodies the bodies that weren't fully formed and so they had to suffer the evolutionary process of that and so she claims that some of like the less evolved people of earth like for example the aborigines of australia as she claims are actually a part of this uh, subset of the original root races um, of the descended masters who entered these bodies at, a, at the wrong time. And uh, some people see that as a bit racist. <laughs> and I can uh, see that, you know, yeah. but, but <laughs> she, her and her people claim that it's, it has nothing to do with the race. It just has to do right. with, you know, the, the, uh, the ethnicities and, and the type of body. Right. So that's her whole thing. Um, but she did, she created that, as a response to the theory of evolution because Blavatsky was alive during the time the theory of evolution was created and first presented so she was she saw that happen and her being a mystic and a spiritualist she didn't really like that explanation of who we were and how we got here so she created all of that as a response to the to evolution she tried to create a, a, an explanation of our spiritual evolution 
And so getting to uh, Lemuria, that was a part of her explanation too. She was like, just, just like many of the other mystics and new agers, she threw Lemuria in there and said that, you know, this process of our spiritual evolution, um, during the process of our spiritual evolution, we used to live on Atlantis and Lemuria, but it's all gone now. And there are there are races existing today on Earth that are a part of those civilizations. Um, but Lemuria was actually a concept formed by an anthropologist, more specifically a zoologist. Uh, I, his name escapes me right now, uh, but it's in the video. But the zoologist during like the late 1800s, early 1900s, he found that there were similar lemur bones on the core on the on the the coast of Madagascar in India, and he so and so he postulated that because there are similar lemur bones on the coast of Madagascar in India, there must have been a a land bridge at some point in the Indian Ocean that bridged these two lands together, and so he came up with the idea of this land being called Lemuria based off of the lemur bones. Right. That's why it's called Lemuria, because of okay. lemurs. <laughs> and <clears throat> he wasn't the first to, to think that. There was actually a, a, a legend coming out of southern India about a, a lost land in the Indian Ocean as well. But they called it Kumari Kandam. And so after the idea of Lemuria became popular through this zoologist's work, the southern Indians, specifically in Tamil, um, were excited and took hold to this new science coming out. And we're like, yo, this is proof of Kumari Kandam. So it's all just a mixture, man. It's all mi a mixture of these different histories and sciences and philosophies coming together. And, and that's, that's how, that's how we do things, man. It's, it's, it's what I'm realizing through my work. You know, it's like as humans, we just love to throw things in the mix and generalize right. and exaggerate. How do you come across a lot of the stuff that you, do you look for it or is it a combination of like you, you go down one rabbit hole and then you find out, oh, there's a side, you know, opening leads to another rabbit hole. Like, how, how do you come up with the things that you've, you've been coming up with? Yeah, I start usually just with like a simple subject. For example, it would be like Lumeria and the root races. And then I always start with the origin of it. You know, I always start with where did this come from? You know? How far back can I take this? I do that with all my work. You know, I start with the basic question of, for example, in Lemuria's case, I'll start with the basic question, where did the concept of Lemuria come from? You know, who started that? And so that led me down to that zoologist. And along the way, I, I start to learn things that I, that I didn't even think of, think to ask of. And that's the fun part of it for me. It's like learning all these new things. So uh, yeah, it starts with that first question. And then as I get into that, I start to find these new pieces of information and new pieces of question. And a lot of times there's so much that like, I want to put it all in there, but I kind of have to cut some of it out. Like, right. oh, okay, even though I, this is cool, it's not exactly, you know, on point with what this is going to be about. So a lot of it is, is yeah, finding out new information and deciding what is going to be cohesive to, to make this simple enough for the people to understand. Okay, so... One of the last few questions, <laughs> I promise. Um, Cryptozoology. I, I feel like it always creeps up in the same vein as uh, paranormal and all this other stuff. Do you see yourself ever doing anything like on Sasquatch or Dogman since it's like like a hot topic, especially now more days than ever? I don't see myself doing it as of right now. 
just because it's not something that's that I'm really passionate about. But maybe, you know, like because yeah, maybe I have I have a binder of things that I write down, you know, right. whenever I run out of ideas or I have a new opening for an idea, I'll go to my binder and be like, okay, what's something that somebody suggested to me recently that I can get into? Right. So yeah, I might eventually at some point, but as of right now, it's just not something that I'm passionate about. Right. Has have has any of those things come into like any stories of those come into like purpose, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, you're doing something on UFOs and then you you find out, oh, man, there was a Sasquatch sighting around that same time or something, you know? Yeah, every now and then. Now, actually, when I was doing research for my Tibet documentary, right? I think I put it in there, too. There was a legend of like this, uh, basically the abominable snowman um, over in ancient Tibet. I think I put it in the documentary. Um, but that's only one thing that that's the only thing that like rings a bell in my mind right now. Right. Yeah, because every because I do a lot of research in like ancient cultures, ancient mythologies. Um, so every now and then I do come across some stuff like that, but it's just, um, it's just not necessary for like the specific subject that I'm working on in that moment. So I kind of always use, like usually just leave it out. I got you, brother. So you're coming out with a book. You said, uh, do you have a name for the book already? Or I do, I do, but I want to keep it. Uh, want to keep it on the wrap. Okay, I got you. Yeah. And, and you said it's going to be released when. At the second week of April. Okay. And then do you have any new docs coming out, like on your your channel? Anything new that you're working yeah. on right now? Yeah, I got the entire month of March already covered with videos to drop every week. I Word try up. to be an entire month ahead of myself. Right. So I'm working on next month's videos right. this month. So, yeah, the, this month's a little light on, on the, you know, deep side. Like the documentary I just dropped with Lemuria, that's probably like the the deepest research I'm going to put out this month because I do different things. I'll do like full on documentaries where I'm doing my own research and then I'll do compilation videos. And then I also do interviews also to kind of help right. fill in some time because it gets hectic, man. Trying to like, I got you, you know, like do all of this. So sometimes right. I do an interview. Interviews are cool. Cause I get to talk to people, meet people, but it helps me buy time because I can drop that video and continue working on what I'm working on. I got you, my but, man. But yeah, man, you'll, you'll see some stuff dropping every week on schedule. Yeah, and then your your the the shorts that you have on YouTube are dope too. Those little short videos that you yeah. have, those are really dope. That's a new um, thing I've been doing too. Yeah, just because I do that on Instagram and TikTok anyway. You know, I'm always dropping reels on Instagram and TikTok, so I'm like, might right. as well drop one on on YouTube. Well. Yeah, it's dope, brother. It's dope, man. So esoteric Eddie, you killed it again. Thank you so much. Dropped a lot of knowledge. I'm gonna have you back on for sure, probably in another six seven months. <laughs> yeah, well, once I drop the book, man, I'll reach out and we'll yeah, we can talk please. about it. Yes, brother. All right, man. Thank you so much for doing this, my man. All right. Thank you. Be safe, Peace. brother. Namaste, man. Absolutely. Namaste.